Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. It is good to be in the house of God. Always a blessing to be in His, his house with His people. Amen. And getting to hear His word. What, a, what an incredible blessing we have tonight. Amen. I'm excited about the next few weeks. Something I've been wanting to do now for a little time. And I want to just dig into some stuff. And I believe God's going to minister over the next few weeks. He's got a word for us. His word's always right. And so I want us to just get into it and see what the Lord would have for us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking from this topic. Uh, the title of our series this next few weeks is Family Matters. Everybody needs to know that tonight from the onset. Your family is the most important thing that God has ever given you. Amen. And I don't care if you're newlywed starting out. I don't care if you're... Uh, in the middle of raising kids, or maybe you've got teenagers, maybe you've got grown kids that have already left home and are producing grandbabies. Maybe you are even here tonight and you've got great-grandbabies in the house. Well, guess what? This next few weeks, we're going to talk about every aspect of life, okay? And I believe God's going to minister. I understand you may be in a different season than what I am currently in. I may be in a different season than what you're currently in. That's okay. But our family is still, no matter what season you're in, our family, uh, a strong family, is something we need to cultivate no matter what season of life we're in. Again, whether you're starting out or you think you're on the end of your journey, you've come to the right place tonight. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated in Jesus' name. I'm going to give you lots of Bible, so don't worry about that. We're going to get there, I promise. Understand that since Lucifer's fall from glory and the creation of mankind, there has been a war that has raged in the spirit realm. Now, I, I, I almost hate to talk about this idea of the spirit realm because some people get a little freaked out about it. Some people think it's a little mystical. Some people don't understand what I mean by it. But I hope and pray that I'm in an atmosphere and a place where you still believe that there is angels and there is a God and there is a devil and there is a tug of war in the spirit okay you need to know that I know you may not think it it may in this woke culture we may try to trivialize what many seem to be archaic the reality is there is still a spiritual realm and it is extremely real it is extremely real okay you need to know that going forward. Now, I, I'll go ahead and tell you, your pastor is not a believer in dualism. What dualism states is there is a tug of war between good versus evil. Okay? That there is this battle that rages and there is this constant tug of war. No, that's not biblical, ladies and gentlemen. Because my Bible tells me that God is supreme. And there is no power that is equal than him, to him. There is no equal yet opposite power tugging against the Almighty. In fact, if you need Bible for it, Isaiah 45 and 7 gives you a clear indication as to how this thing's set up. God says something like this, I created light and I created darkness. I formed peace and Evil, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, when God, when God is involved, there is nothing that can equate to His power. He is by Himself God, undisputed and incompared 
incomparable. So you got to understand, there's not a dualism happening. There's not, there's not a, a, a mountaintop over here where God and his angels are battling the devil and all of his imps. No, my friend, there's simply God on the throne. But there is an enemy. You need to know that. There is an enemy, the being we know as the devil. And he knows he can't overthrow God. You want to know why? He's already tried it. <laughs> he tried it. He, he, he thought he would. In fact, he wasn't even trying to overthrow God. The Bible tells us that he was just trying to be equal with God and put his throne equal with God. And in a moment, him and a third of the angels were cast out of heaven. In fact, Jesus said it like this. It was so quick. It happened so fast. There wasn't a prolonged battle. There wasn't a skirmish. It was like this. Jesus said in Luke 4, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. It was just that fast and the fight was done. That's the kind of God we serve. So there's not a war, a direct war between heaven and hell. Instead... There is a direct war between hell and humanity. You see, the devil knows I can't overthrow God. I will never be equal with him. He holds all power. So he does his dead level best to manipulate God's creation known as humanity. You see here, hell will go to great lengths to destroy mine and your chance for relationship with God. Now, I'm going to be specific here tonight. There are three targets that hell has in her sights. There are three. The first target that hell fights is the church. Everybody say the church. Now, when you and I experience the new birth experience, repentance, water baptism in the name of Jesus for the washing away of sins and the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues, you and I are inaugurated into the church. And yet at the same time, we have become set up as a target for hell. Now I'll make some statements here. Some of y'all may think I've lost my mind. I promise. I promise I've not gone off the rocker yet. Okay? The reality is, hell doesn't fight you if you're already lost. There's no need to. Remember, the devil is finite. He's not infinite like God is. He can't be everywhere at once. He can't know everything. So if he's got a limited amount of resources, i.e. a third of heaven, and there's two angels for every imp, he's got limited resources, right? I don't care how uh, supernatural he may be. He's got limited resources. And so if he's already got you on a path to be lost, the reality is he doesn't have to do anything if he'll just... Leave us alone, we'll self-destruct. Am, 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 I, am, I, am I saying anything that makes sense yet? Y'all with me so far? You see, the devil doesn't have to perch on your shoulder if you're already lost and make you do stupid stuff. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 5 and talks about the works of the flesh are manifest. You just let flesh be flesh and flesh will do a good job of being bad. Right? It'll, it'll do a great job at doing dumb stuff. So the devil is not worried about those that are already ignorant about God's grace. He's doing his dead level best to destroy those that have experienced God's grace. 
He's doing everything he can. He becomes very worried when you allow the blood of Jesus to cover your sins and allow his spirit to lead you into truth. And and that's why, my friend, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, be baptized in Jesus' name. You come up out of the water speaking in other tongues, leave the service and think, wow, this is the best thing that ever happened. And by the time you've got out of the parking lot, you feel like you've been run over by a Mack truck. New converts usually have the worst week of their life the week after they get the Holy Ghost. Why? Because now hell has put a target on their chest and hell will go to great lengths to try to dissuade them from walking in grace and learning about the Lord. So you're a target today if you're a part of the church. The second target that hell is very adamant about reaching, about about trying to destroy, is the ministry. Okay, You want to know why? Because if he can get ministry, he can get church. I'm going to say something here. Y'all going to think I'm crazy. But it's easier, it's easier to go after one than it is to go after 50. Right? And if God can destroy one and that one's got enough influence to destroy 50, or if the devil can destroy one and that one has enough influence to destroy 50, the devil's not dumb. He's a great strategist. He'll go after the one. Now, it's not because the ministry is some super, super uh, duper uh, superpowers of a Christian or anything like that. It's simply, this is a simple, simple uh, idea here. Ezekiel tells us that, that, and God speaks to Ezekiel telling us that the ministry is a, this is what he calls it, a watchman on the wall. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 3, God tells the prophet, I have set you as a watchman on the wall. Now, we don't have walls around the cities. But in that day, it was common for cities to be walled and soldiers every day and every night would patrol the walls. Their job was simple. They were to sound an alarm if danger was approaching. That's it. That's it. They weren't supposed to fight the battle by themselves. They weren't supposed to destroy the enemy by themselves. They were simply there to sound an alarm. And Ezekiel, I believe it's Ezekiel 33, God then tells Ezekiel that watchman on the wall, if he doesn't sound an alarm, the blood is going to be on his hands. And he's, what he's saying is, prophet, man of God, if you don't preach truth, you, their blood's going to be on your hands. Okay, that's what he's trying to say. Now, that sounds like an elevated position, like, wow, he's above everybody else. He's also the one that gets shot at first. Because the guy on the wall is not only able to see, he's not only able to, in, to, to, to sound an alarm, he's also in the most vulnerable, vulnerable position because an archer is trying to shoot him down at all times. When it's nighttime, the goal of the advancing army was to send guys over the wall. And if they could destroy the watchmen on the wall and they could silence the alarm in the middle of the night, then they could access the gate and they could open the gate to the enemy army. So the enemy of our souls is doing everything he can to destroy the ministry. It's not because, again, they're super spiritual or because they hold a a, a special place in God's economy and makes them better than everybody. No, it's because uh, they are in a vulnerable place. I can preach on stuff. I can preach on stuff, folks, and deal with it that night. 
Amen? The fact of the matter is there are things that, 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 that the enemy wants to put into our hearts and our minds. And the goal is if he can destroy ministry, he can destroy the church. So those are the first two targets. But the third target, where I really want to get to tonight, in my opinion, it is the most important of the three targets because it literally affects everything else, is the family. The family is under attack from hell. Let me say it like this. The devil is after your family. I don't care if you're raising your kids I don't care if they're grown and already gone. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is today that hell is after your family. I'm glad to see Brother Sister Terry here tonight. I understand they've just started their their life together as a family. Guess what? The devil's trying to destroy their marriage. The fact of the matter is, though they've only been married a few weeks, the devil's after them. I look at Bishop and Sister Littlefield Incredible examples of faithfulness and commitment. Married over 60 plus years if I'm not mistaken. And at the same time I've come to tell you that the devil is after their marriage. And he's after their family. And he's going to do his dead level best to destroy every aspect of the family unit. We've got to understand the importance today that family really does matter. And if we're not careful, we'll go to sleep on the wall thinking it's just another part of life. But God has called us to protect the family. It's under attack today. Hear me today when I tell you that the family is under attack simply because it is the base relational unit of the world. There's nothing more basic than the family. Not only is it a basic relational unit, a societal unit that everybody can identify. Doesn't matter what language you speak. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. Rich or poor. Doesn't matter how much education. We all have family. And not only was it a base unit, or is it a base unit, this thing called family was created by God Himself. I know it sounds crazy to think. It's recognized by the state. It, 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 it's a fun little ceremony that we do, and, and there's so many traditions a part of it, and there's so many things we could talk about in marriage and the home, yet the reality is this little thing we call love and this little thing we call marriage is none other than God's hand at work. Don't believe me. I turn your attention to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 verse 26 says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God created he, he him, Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You don't have to look very far into your Bible to see God's first command to humanity. The reality is God put man together. I'll never forget sitting in a philosophy class in college. And I, I, I think I've said this a couple of times over the last few years. But I'll never forget sitting in a philosophy class in college. And the question came up. Uh, our teacher would lecture some. And, and he would try to 
uh, get people to talk and ask questions and, and, and talk some, through some things. And he, he, he made a question. He was talking about uh, modern philosophy and some of the uh, feminist movement. And he made a statement that there was a lot of push to determine if God was gender specific. According to our Bible, he, uh, it is a masculine pronoun. We refer to God in the masculine. And, and yet some, in the, especially in the feminist movement, wanted to call God by a feminine pronoun. And I just sitting there listening and thinking about it and nerding out a little bit. and I finally, I don't know if I raised, remember if I raised my hand or if I went to him after class, I said, could it be that we got this whole argument wrong? I think I got Bible for this. Kind of looked at me funny. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I think, I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to put God in a category and God is neither male nor female like we know it. Rather, male and female together is in the image and likeness of God. What do you mean, Pastor? I'm here to tell you this is how important I believe marriage is. When God puts a man and a woman together, He puts attributes of Himself into each of them separately. And together they are supposed to create. You and I can't create life on our own. We can't create life in a lab. We, we, can't, we have, don't, don't have the ability to do that. But when a man and a woman come together, they have the ability, like God, to create life. So maybe, just maybe, when a man and a woman stand before a preacher or a judge and declare their loyalty and commitment to one another for the rest of their lives, maybe, just maybe, hell gets mad because hell gets a glimpse of God's glory. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I know I'm on to something right now. That's why God would say in Genesis 1.27, male and female, he created them in his image, male and female. Wait a minute. We, Brother Rollinson, we got two different images. My wife's image is a lot better looking than my image. But see, God doesn't look at us separately. God looks at us together, and the Bible says as one. And together we are in his image. You don't believe me? Go look through Scripture. Have you ever seen God in Scripture as that masculine? He's a warring God. He's a jealous God. He's a firm God. He's a judging. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever seen that part of Scripture? He's the God that shows up and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And if you don't, I'm going to tear your house down. That's big bad God. And then there's other things. There's other portions of Scripture that tell us God is love. And he holds us and he keeps us and he tells us we're his own and, and, and we're the apple of his eye and he nurtures us. and Well, that's mama. Daddy protects, mama nurtures and God does both. I'm here to tell you today, the family unit is important because it is, in, it is an earthly image of the glory and the majesty and the beauty of who God really is. God expounds on this in Genesis chapter 2 when he talks about creative order. And in Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 25, this is what the word of God says. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. You can go ahead and underline that because I promise we're coming back. I don't know if we'll come back next week or the week after, but we're coming back to this verse right here. We're going we're gonna to blow your mind hopefully. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. 
And so the Lord God caused a great sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had given for man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be, or they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. Here God is giving us an insight to the beauty of man and woman's creation. This is even more in depth than Genesis chapter 1. This is telling us that when God created man, He formed him from the dust of the earth. And when He created woman, He created her from the side of the man. I love Matthew Henry's commentary on this. It talks about the fact that man, a woman was not created out of the hand of the man to be lorded over. She was not created out of the foot of the man to be stepped on. She was not created out of anything but a rib close to his heart to be held by his side, to be nurtured and to be protected. You need to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that marriage, when God intended, the way God intended marriage in the family, that it was a team effort and it was a, it was a, it was a, we are going to work together to be what God has called us to be. And then God does something really cool in creation. God gives man dominion over every living creature. He tells man, you are going to uh, not only have dominion over every living creature, but you're going to subdue the earth. And you're going to have dominion over everything that moves. And yet together you're going to have the ability, unlike any other thing you can do, you're going to have the ability to create life together. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. Thus the family is born. And and all of these great things are happening. And the devil is watching creation. And he's furious. I want you to think about this. The devil is, and we don't have time to go through all of this, but the devil is created in all kinds of splendor. I believe it's Ezekiel 27. Go read it. Ezekiel 27 and 28. Go read it. And and it talks about the glory of Lucifer and how he was created, how he was perfect. Everywhere Lucifer, how he turned, he just shone and glowed from the glory of God. And now God's creating these clay figures out of dirt. It's a mess. It's nasty. It's dirty. There's nothing much to them. And yet God puts a piece of himself in them and gives them the ability to create. You know that the angels don't have the ability to create, right? The angels, New Testament tells us, Jesus talks about it in Matthew specifically, that they they neither marry nor are given in marriage. They don't create. They can't create life. But God puts his image on humanity and gives them the ability to create new life. And then to really top it all off, he gives man dominion over everything. And the devil is just furious. And we wonder why he showed up in the garden. He showed up because he was angry. And he wanted to destroy what the Lord had created We wonder why marriage and family is under attack today. I'll tell you why. It's because the devil looks at us, even in our sinful nature, and says, I still can't do what they do. 
talking about family today. There is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that God puts together. And so, ladies and gentlemen, when we recognize the beauty and the importance of marriage and family, then we have to understand that you and I cannot be lazy in our family life. Oh, I know, I know, we, 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 we don't think of it as lazy because, because we, we go to work and we provide for the family and dads, we do everything we can to make sure the bills are paid and, and the clothes are on their back and they can, they, they, they've got a nice roof over their head and a car to drive and, and, and all, everything's taken care of. But too many times we neglect the spiritual and the nurturing aspects of family Because we don't take time to fight against the onslaught of hell for our kids. Amen? Let me show you some scripture here. Do you want to know what the first battle recorded in your scripture is? It's found in Genesis 16. Genesis 16 tells the story of kings that go to war against Sodom and Gomorrah and the the kings of the valley of Jordan, of the Jordan River. When they invade those kingdoms, those little city-states, they are able to overthrow them. They take a lot of captives. They take a lot of spoil. And they leave. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah actually go into hiding. They're not able to beat them. And everything would be okay except for one little thing. Abraham's got a nephew in Sodom. Lot's living in Sodom. And when these kings come in and attack Sodom, they capture Lot. They capture Lot's family and they take everything that he has. And Abraham hears of this attack. Abraham could be passive and say, you know, I told him not to go there. Abraham could have said, you know what, I've done the best I can. I'm just not going to, there's nothing I can do about it. We're outnumbered. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he gathers his servants and he arms 318 of his servants in the house. And Abraham goes hunting. The Bible says the first recorded battle of your Bible is when Abraham sees his, his family in distress and the enemy's taken what is really and rightfully part of his family even though they're not where they're supposed to be, even though they're not living like they should, even though they're not faithful to the things of God. Abraham says, no, 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 no. You're taking my family. You're messing with my people. And Abraham goes and draws a sword against the enemy. And the Bible Bible says uh, he defeats this army. The Lord delivers this army into his hands and he recovers everything and then some. I wonder today if somebody would just get a little bit of, uh, just a little, uh, a little uh, um, boldness in your spirit to say, you know what? There are some things worth fighting for. Well, you don't understand how long I fought, Pastor. Let me tell you something. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how long you fought. The, the, what matters is don't give up in the midst of the battle. Keep fighting for your children. Keep fighting for your marriage. Keep fighting for those grandbabies and great-grandbabies. It's worth it. Just stay faithful and keep up the fight. It's interesting. I, I find in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30 when David and his mighty men have been out on... On a, on, a, on a mission, they've been out trying to fight and they come home to the Ziglag and they've, they, they've set up camp here at Ziglag and when they get back home, the smoke of the city can be seen across the hill. When they get home, they quicken their pace and they rush home and they find the city has been sacked. They, they can't find their wives, they can't find their children. 
And the Bible says that 600 of some of the bravest men in your Bible sat down and began to weep. They are in such despair and such distress that there is mutiny involved. They're ready to kill David. This is the closest time David has ever been to death in your Bible. It's all because their children are gone. And their wives are taken captive. They're not worried about the, about the sheep. They're not worried about the goats. They're not really worried about all that can be recovered. But they're really upset because they've lost their families. And David says of the Lord, inquires of the Lord and says, shall we pursue? And God said, go ahead and pursue. And then he adds something to it and said, if you'll fight for your family. He says, pursue. And then he says, thou shalt recover all. In other words, if you'll fight for your family, if you'll just keep fighting, you go after them. You keep fighting for them. You keep doing whatever it takes. If you really do it, if you give it with all you've got, you'll be able to recover what the enemy's taken. Somebody needs to hear me right now. The fact of the matter is, now's not the time to sit here and weep. Now's the time to get your sword back on, strap that shield on your back, put your spear in your hand, and start walking after an enemy saying, hey, I may not look like much. I may not have a much, of, uh, much energy anymore, but you've got something that belongs to me. My family's worth fighting for. My children are worth fighting for. My grandbabies are worth fighting for. My great-grandbabies are worth... I'm going to fight until something breaks. One of the greatest mighty men in your Bible recording in 2 Samuel 23 is a man by the name of Shammah. Go read his story. It's only found in a few verses of scripture. You'll be blown away by the fact that he did what he did. Because the Bible says there was a group of Philistines and they were coming and and there was a, a ground full of lentils as a bean patch. That's all it was, was a bean patch. And Shama, while everybody else was running, stood in the middle of that bean patch with his sword. And there's a group of Philistines coming. But Shama says, Mm-mm, it's my bean patch. Now, now, Brother Lance, I'll be honest with you. There's not much value in beans. Not much to it. You can plant, even, you can plant beans. I mean, we're not talking about an oil field. We're not talking about a gold mine. We're talking about a field of beans. I mean, surely we can come back and plant again. There's really no need, especially with everybody else running, there's really no need for me to risk my life for beans. But to Shama, that wasn't just a hill of beans. Because to Shammah, that bean patch was connected to a hayfield. And that hayfield was right down the lane from a subdivision. And in that subdivision was a little house with no doubt a white picket fence around it. And while everybody else didn't think anything was important about that little house, Shammah knew there was a Mrs. Shammah in that house. And there were some kiddos running around in that yard. And Shammah said, if I leave the bean patch, they'll take the hayfield. They'll take the lane to the subdivision. They'll walk into the neighborhood and try to knock down the door to that little house with a white picket fence. And I've got too much at stake to let them step any further. I wish somebody would help me right now. Mom and dad, we've got to make a stand. 
Well, I don't see anything wrong with that. No, 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 you don't understand. It may not be anything but a bean patch to you. But if I don't take a stand in the bean patch, there's some things connected. There's some things connected. Uh, and I just refuse uh, to throw in the towel and drop the sword and say, well, we'll just try again. No, 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 you don't understand. I've got some little ones running around the yard. Uh, and I've got a wife that's cooking supper. And I refuse uh, to give one inch of the bean patch. Uh, if you're going to take the bean field, uh, you're going to do it over my dead body. Uh, I refuse. And the Bible says the Lord uh, wrought a victory uh, when Shema made a stand, Mom and dad I know it may not be popular in woke culture but you need to make a stand for holiness and make a stand for righteousness make a stand for Jesus name make a stand for what's right I don't know what everybody else is going to do but this bean patch belongs to me <laughs> Woo! Mm, I'm talking about family matters tonight it matters well, if I wasn't so hard on them, maybe they live for God. My friend, let me tell you something. Stand for truth. Stand with love, but stand with truth for truth. Because at the end of the day, the prodigal son's got to know that daddy didn't move the farm. The prodigal's got to know when he comes to his senses in the pig pen with no hope, with no help, wondering how he's going to get out of the mud. He's got to know that I can walk and it may be a hundred miles. It may be a thousand miles. But if I can just get pointed in the right direction, there's a farm and daddy's going to be on the front porch and there's going to be corn in the crib and a fatted calf in the field. If I can just get home, there's a jacket waiting for me. There's sandals for my feet. There's identity and purpose. If I can just get back to the farm. So friend, don't sell the farm because family matters. Don't throw in the farm because family matters. Don't give up. Fight because family matters. Hallelujah. If you don't believe me, family is under attack today. I want to I give you a few statistics and I don't have time to go into everything that I want to, but and we may stop a little early tonight. I don't know. I feel the Holy Ghost. So we may, I don't know what we're going to do yet. We're just going to follow the Holy Ghost right now. Between 40 and 50% of first-time marriages end in divorce. I gave you that range because it really depends how you look at it and what age group. But really, when you begin to look at my generation, when you begin to look at those that follow us, the divorce rate really is closer to 50%. That's... One out of two, every other marriage could end in divorce. When you start looking at people that have been married second and third marriages, those divorce rates even go higher. Now the good news is the divorce rate is down just a little bit in the United States. The bad news is people aren't getting married. They're just moving in together. That number's growing. Now it's not a... It's moved from about 4% to 9% in the last three decades. The reality is people aren't getting married as much. And so family is under attack. When you look at adults ages 18 to 44, they are less likely to be married today. 1995, 58% of those adults were likely to be married. Now it's down to 53%. 
You say, well, what does that have to do with what you're talking about? Well, if you start looking at it, you'll find that because of this marriageless issue and the fact that traditional marriages uh, are under attack, you realize that today, because of all of this, one out of four children grew up without fathers. Now, if you just talk about biological fathers, now I'm not talking about adoptive dads. Thank God. Thank God. I, I give my father-in-law honor today. Because when my in-laws got married, my mother-in-law already had boy, three boys. And Mark Knowles took those three boys and practically raised those boys. And I give him honor today because he was an incredible and is an incredible stepdad. Incredible man. But if you... If you take those kind of guys out and you just look at the stats for kids that are being raised without their real dad, almost 40% of kids are not raised with their real dad. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, the reality is it's proven that when, you, when these kids are growing up without dads, they get into bigger trouble. In fact, 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. And over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers originate in homes without fathers. I could go on and on. I've done it before in Father's Day services. I don't have time to do that. But suffice it to say, we're in a fatherless pandemic. And if you keep looking through the kids and the statistics of these kiddos, you'll find that while the divorce rate is about 50%, the risk of divorce for people that come from a divorced home is 50% higher than if their parents were together. If both partners come from divorced, uh, divorced homes, the, percent, the likelihood of them getting a divorce is 200% higher than those that don't. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we have to fight for our homes. Now, if you're here today and you've gone through a divorce, I'm not here to judge anybody. If you're here today and have been raised or are being raised without a dad, there's still plenty of hope for you. Don't give up. But I'm talking to those that are building families. I'm talking to those that are raising kids with or without a, 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 a partner. I'm talking to those that in every aspect of our life, we have to fight for what we have. I should have got a bigger amen on that one. If you're here today and your marriage is struggling, fight for it. I want to make sure everybody heard me on that. I didn't say fight her. I said fight for her. If you've got problems in the home and you've got a situation and kiddos or it just seems like chaos in the home, it's time for you not to go get another counseling session. It's time for you to get into another prayer meeting and fight spiritually. I'm not against counselors. We need them. I thank God for godly counsel. But I'm very clear right now what I'm trying to say. We've got to fight in the spirit for our homes, for our families, for our children. And it doesn't stop because they moved out. It's time we go to war on our knees for our children. Hallelujah. I'm going to say some things here and I'm almost done. But it needs to be said and you need to know where exactly I stand. Let me, let me say this first. And again, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I'm not trying to point anything out. I'm going to tell you what. If you come to me, this is what I'm going to tell you. 
Pastor is not for divorce. I got more Bible against it than I do for it. Okay? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 19, I'm going to get to it here in a minute, what man hath joined together, what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Okay? I get it. There is Bible that talks about infidelity. Okay? That gives you grounds for a divorce. I also am very adamant that no man needs to touch a woman and beat on a wife or beat on kids. So there, if there's an abusive situation, first of all, you need to get to safety. And if that's happening, you need to come talk to me or my wife ASAP because we will fight for you. Everybody clear on that? But if you come to me and say, hey, we're having problems, I think I'm, I, I think I'm just, I'm going to do everything I can to dissuade you to divorce your partner. Because I believe that God wants us to fight for our marriage. I'm going to tell you right now, and some of you older ones know this, I've only been married nine years. I figured this out a long time ago. Marriage is not easy. I'm married to an angel, and it's not easy. Okay? She's the greatest woman in the world. But that still don't make it easy. I think God sometimes put two people together with enough differences in them. He just wants to see which one will be the last one standing. That's okay. You could giggle. Amen? It's not easy. But that does not give you and I a reason to leave. Doesn't give, and I don't have time to go into all this. doesn't give us a reason to, to, to stop being faithful and, and, and go cheat and go, that, go look in other places. No, my friend, we've still got to fight for it. So I want, to be, I want everybody to be clear. If you come to me and say, Pastor, I just don't know. He's being an idiot. What do I do? I'm going to say, go back and love the old idiot. Fight for him. Okay, that's what I'm going to tell you. But I also want to be clear about something. There is a, an attack on marriage today that we've got to fight. And one of the greatest, if not the greatest attack on family comes from this spirit of homosexuality. Let me, let, me, let me just be blunt today, and, and I, I hope I don't offend anybody. I hope I don't mess anybody up, but I want to be very clear about some things because, A, the world is very, 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 very vocal about this. And second, this is a safe spot, and our children ought to be able to hear about it from us before they hear about it from them. According to a recent Gallup poll, 7.1% of the United States of United States adults identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. I want you to think about that for a second because 7.1%. That's not a big percent. Okay? That's not a big percent at all. Especially when you think about how loud they're yelling. In fact, they're yelling so loud that Pew Research states that not only do 7.1% claim to identify this, but 72% of Americans say that homosexuality should be accepted in our society. That's what they say. Now it's interesting to note, again, that this small segment of society has gained such political clout and economic clout in our world. It's like the whole month of June, every company in America flies a rainbow flag. Everybody talks about inclusivity and tolerance and and how this is an accepted form. And and God forbid that this lifestyle that's dubbed as an alternative lifestyle and, and that's praised as courageous, God forbid that you say anything against it. Okay? 
if you try to talk against it, you are labeled as a bigot. You're labeled as an extremist. And they'll cancel you for hate speech. Now, I want to make it very clear today that I absolutely love every person that identifies as this lifestyle. But I am going to ask the question today, does this lifestyle have valid scriptural basis? Because we're told things like, this is just how I was created. It's just, this is just who I am. And, 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 and people that come out of the closet are considered to be those that have expressed themselves. And, and so the question's got to be asked, well, is that true? Are we made that way? Is this God-given? Where does this come? Where is the scriptural basis? Well, tonight I'm going to deal with that. Okay? And, I, and young people, I know some of you may be screaming right now because it may not be the most politically thing. I, again, may not be very politically correct to talk about this, but we need to talk about it from a biblical standpoint. Okay, so what does the Bible say about homosexuality? First of all, if you're going to discuss anything in Scripture, you've got to find the first time it's talked about. And the first thing we see about family and the home is found in the first two chapters of Genesis. God made it very clear in Genesis chapter 1 that he created male and female. And these two together have the ability to procreate. That's why he said, be fruitful and multiply. Okay? So the reality is, if this lifestyle were right, God would have created it to be right. But God did not create it that way. He specifically put in order man and woman. And if you need more than one place in your Bible, I turn your attention to Matthew 19. Jesus has brought a question about divorce and marriage. And he says this, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. And then Jesus elaborates, he says, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. God makes it very clear in his word that the creative order has always been and will always continue to be man and woman. But let's continue in scripture. I want to give you more scripture for this lifestyle. Leviticus 18 and 22 says this. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Now that's an interesting word. An abomination. Literally something that God absolutely hates. And there's a funny thing about abomination in a God that never changes. If it was an abomination in the Old Testament, it's an abomination in the New Testament. And if it's an abomination in the New Testament, that means it's an abomination today. Everybody with me so far? Now, I'm going to get really plain here. Again, I hope I don't offend anybody. 
I love what the New Living Translation says about Leviticus 18.22. Because if there's any doubt about this lifestyle, you don't even have to go to the King James Version. You can go to the New Living Translation and you can read Leviticus 18 and 22. It says this. Do not practice homosexuality. And if you didn't know what that was, it explains having sex with another man as with a woman. It's pretty straightforward. Do not practice homosexuality. And this is what it says. It is a detestable sin. Well, is it really a sin? You tell me. That's what the Word says. And if the Word is the ultimate authority, there it is. Not trying to be ugly again. I'm please don't make me please don't make me qualify this. But the reality is we need to understand that God is very adamant in His Word. In fact, He goes so far in Leviticus 20 and 13 to repeat the idea that homosexuality is an abomination. And this time He adds, if you find somebody practicing homosexuality, it is punishable by death. Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. Because I'm here to tell you today, let me just go ahead and say it. I'm here to tell you today that God can deliver the homosexual just like he can deliver the drug addict. And because of his death, you and I can be delivered from this just as much as any other sin. God is able to take care of it. Are you thankful for grace today? But let's continue. The Bible continues to talk about homosexuality. Anybody ever heard of a place called Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah, according to the book of Genesis, was a wicked group of cities. It was a, two of the chief cities of the plain of Jordan, a well-watered well plain of the Jordan River. Okay, It was into this area that Lot decided to live after he left his uncle Abraham. Here in Sodom, the chief sin of Sodom was homosexuality. In fact... You may have heard of the phrase sodomy or heard someone referred to as a sodomite. That is another term for homosexuality. Okay? They've tried to, I thought it was interesting. They've tried to water that term down to mean something else. But the reality is, if you study the etymology of the word, it specifically is tied to homosexuality. When the angels of the Lord come to Lot to get him out of the city after conferring with Abraham... They are confronted by the wicked men of the city who, according to your Bible, wanted to practice homosexual acts with them. And God not only gave judgment on that group of men and blinded them, He then drug Lot and Lot's wife and their two daughters out of the city and destroyed it with fire because according to Him, talking to Abraham, the cry of that city had become so great that He wouldn't tolerate their sin anymore. Amen? So God doesn't really have a bunch of cuddly feelings for the sin of homosexuality. But that's Old Testament, preacher. We live in the New Testament now. Well, I'm glad you said that. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. That's in the New Testament if you're looking. Romans chapter 1, Paul begins to write about the nature of humanity. I don't have time to go through all of it, but Paul begins to talk about how man 
begin to lift himself up and begin to put himself in the place of God and how he began to do things because he thought himself to be wise and God to be a fool and the word of God have no validity. So this is what happens as man exalts himself and refuses to heed the word of God. This is what God says. Paul says in Romans 1.24 Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their own lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemingly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. You see, God said, if you're not going to heed the word, let your flesh go and do what you want to do. And the flesh of humanity, the the reprobate mind of humanity, produced this homosexual lifestyle. It is never spoken of in good light. It is never talked about as a way for us as Christians To live or even acknowledge as acceptable. Church, we must fight for our families. In a world where there is an attack, a spiritual attack on the family, we've got to stand and say, I'm sorry baby, there are some things we're just not going to tolerate. I didn't say be ugly. In fact, I want to go on record. Every homosexual in East Texas is welcome to attend church here. I open my arms and say, hey, we want you. This is a place where you need to be. There's hope here. There's peace here. There's identity here. You're looking for identity? There's identity here. This is a place where you can be healed. This is a place where you can find deliverance. This is a place where you don't have to die because there's one that's already crucified that that sin on the cross of Calvary. He's already paid it all so you can find peace and hope in Calvary Tabernacle. Amen? So I wanted to be very clear. But I will also say this, that we refuse to give in to the woke culture of our day. We refuse to bow to the gods of this world that say this is just an alternative. No, my friend, my family's worth fighting for. So there are some things won't be allowed in my home. There are some movies my kids won't ever watch. There are some places my children won't be allowed to go. Why? I'm not old-fashioned and I'm not a fuddy-dud or trying to be a joy kill. But I'm telling you what I am doing. I'm trying to stand on a bean patch saying this is as far as this spirit goes. So I will fight. I will take it upon myself to to buckle on the sword and raise the shield. And I will stand between my children and my wife. And it's time for the apostolics to not just talk talk about it, but we ought to stand for it and say, I'm sorry, this is who we are. And we will fight. Would you stand with me all over this building? Mamas and daddies, it's time to fight for your children.
Grandmas and grandpas, it's time to fight for your grandkids. Husband, it's time to fight for that precious bride. Wife, you've got to fight for that man that you love so much. It's time we fight because family really does matter. It's time we learn that the enemy's not laying in the bed next to us. The enemy's not down the hallway sleeping. And the enemy's not in the church. The enemy is outside the walls trying to get in, trying to tear down, trying to destroy. And we've got to be vigilant. We've got to be sober. We've got to watch and we've got to pray. Uh, We've got to pray over our families. Uh, We've got to worship and show our families how to praise. God. Uh, We've got to show our children what it is to give unto the Lord. Uh, We've got to do everything we can to prioritize the house of God because family matters. All over this building, would you just lift your hands and begin to respond to the word of God and the spirit of God that's in this building.